Good morning. I am going to try to find this thing and put it on awkwardly while you all stare at me. Happy Reformation Day. Hope you celebrate by nailing some stuff to a church today. Hopefully not ours, but somebody's. Um, Am I on? Can you hear me? Yes? Oh, great. Can you still hear me? Is this thing actually working? Okay, great. Awesome. Um, So we're going to be continuing our dive into the book of Hebrews today. Um, Let's look at chapter 5, verses... Technically, it's verses 11 to 14. That's what's printed in your liturgy. But we're also going to venture out into chapter 6, a couple verses as well. I think that's page... 1190. So uh, when Mike first mentioned to me that, you know, he was thinking about starting a series on Hebrews, I was like, you know, that sounds great. It's a good book of the Bible. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Please don't make me preach chapter six. (laughs) Very hard chapter. You know, not that I um, don't think that you can work through it and things like that, but it's just better for somebody who's like actually pastoring, shepherding people to be able to preach that. Um, but, uh, you know, after I created some tension for, um, an anticipation for Mike next week, uh, let him deal with that. But the passage we're, we're looking at today is kind of the introduction to that. Or kind of like, it is a warning, it's also an introduction to the big warning. Um, so, as I was reading this, um, I also felt really uneasy just to be honest about this passage as well, Um, if you look in there, uh, starting at verse 11. Um, We'll read that in just a second, but um, I I kind of, like, as as I was looking through it this week, I was trying to process to myself, like, why why do I feel so apprehensive about this? Why do I feel so uneasy with this? And it wasn't just, like, an uneasiness like I had with chapter 6. It was kind of, it was something, it it was something different. Like, they're, they're just... In, in Gen Z language, it wasn't vibing with my soul, um, if that means anything to you. It wasn't, it didn't feel right to me. Um, and I'll, I'll explain what those apprehensions were in just a second. But first, let's read the passage. I'm going to read it finally, and um, we'll make some sense of this, hopefully. Uh, so, starting in verse 11, I'm going to go through probably 6-2. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. So, like I said, as I was reading this and I thought and reflected on it, I found two, two causes, two reasons for my uneasiness. My first kind of apprehension here is that we live in a world of oughts and shoulds. You ought to. You should. And I, for one, I always have a voice in the back of my head 
I have this list of obligations and ideals that I'm just never quite living up to, right? Like, I'm, I'm a husband, yeah, but man, I, sh- I should be a better, I should be doing this and this better right now. I'm a father, and well, am I really, you know, doing everything I could to raise my kids like I ought to be, like I should be? You know, I'm a, I'm a ministry director, and I have all these ideas in my head that I'm really good about, you know, dreaming about, but just never seem to, you know, happen tangibly. Should be a better runner, eat healthier, X, Y, Z, right? The first answer to the Heidelberg Catechism says that your only comfort in life and death is that you are not your own, but belong body and soul to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, the Reformed uh, thinker and author Alan Noble in a recently released book called You Are Not Your Own, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World, which I think is an awesome title, he argues that when you make the world a place where you are your own and you belong to yourself, you have to create a world of obligations for yourself because you have to justify your own existence. You have to justify yourself. And so because of this, that manifests itself in the constant need for improvement, the constant need to meet more oughts, for self-growth and efficiency and better techniques for every area of life. And he calls this the tyranny of self-improvement. And he says that um, based on that sense of obligation... Our lives demand constant optimizing, always making healthier choices, always discovering ways to be and do and work better. You aren't where you should be. You aren't where you ought. You haven't grown enough. You should be a a better mother, a better student, a better gym goer, a better dresser, a better worker, a better friend, a better self-carer, a better makeup wearer. A better neighbor, a better athlete, a better justice seeker, a better lover, a better side sleeper. Stuff for everything, right? And due to the inhuman world that we live in that loves to kind of facilitate this need in ourselves, there's always an article or a podcast or documentary or a book or a YouTube tutorial telling you how. This is how you should live. This is how you ought to live. So do the work, grind harder, sweat and bleed a little bit if you want to, if you have to, if you ought to. And I'm supposed to come here, right, in this world where we're all walking in from a world of oughts and say, you ought to be doing better. You ought to be, right, like it says in verse 12, for the, by this time you You ought to be teachers. You ought to be eating solid food, not milk. And that Greek word for ought, it carries that sense of obligation. You have an obligation to something in your identity and you you have to meet that. You haven't grown as much as you should have as a Christian. My second reason for uneasiness or my second apprehension comes from um, it actually comes from a sweet truth that's been like super beneficial in my own spiritual life and my walk with the Lord. I, I kind of used to view, you know, um, the gospel, the gospel of God's grace in Jesus as kind of the door you use to get into the Christian life, right? The door to the relationship with God. 
Like the gospel gets you in and then there's all these ways to grow and improve and all these church things. And so it's your time to grind. Like once you're in, it's your time. It's your time to grind. It's your time to work hard. And, you know, God forbid you sin again because then um, you got to work a little bit harder, right, to get back in God's good graces. I think a lot of us have that story. And even if we don't say it exactly like that out loud or, you know, um, even even think that explicitly, I think that's the attitude a lot of Christians take. And so I started hearing this beautiful truth that that's not true. Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life, but it's the A to Z of Christian. It's the whole thing. It's the A to Z of Christian life. Yeah, amen. And another way I've heard it is that some people think that the gospel is, right, just the, it's the entrance, it's the door, it's the foyer, it's where you hang your coat and dust off your shoes. But it's not, it's the whole thing. It's the whole building. The whole Christian life is lived by the gospel. It's every room you go into in life. We need the gospel daily and we never get past our need for it. We should never leave the basic belief in the word and work of Jesus in the gospel. And then I read this passage. And I see in uh, verse 1 here in chapter 6. Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine. Literally the beginning word of Christ. And go on. Let's leave and go on. Leave and move on. Right? And when you look at. What verse is that? When you look at um, verse 12. There in chapter 5. Where it says the basic principles. When that's used in the context of language in the Greek, it, it literally means like the beginning blocks of the language. So, the ABCs. You aren't supposed to be on the ABCs. You're supposed to move on. So, my, my, uneasiness, my second uneasiness here is from, is this saying that that's not true, like that the gospel really is just the door to the Christian life? It's just the ABCs and then we move on to bigger and better things? Is it contradicting that beautiful you know, thing that helped me so much in my spiritual life? You, you might share one or both of those you know, apprehensions I took with me to the text, or you might not. You have, might have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay too. You know, is, is this giving us another burdensome, tiring ought in a world that's already full of them? Is this telling me to leave the gospel? But as I dug deeper into this passage, you know, not, not, hopefully not trying to make it say what I want it to say, but actually see what it's saying and then see how it answers those um, little anxieties that I have with it. Um, eventually, I, I saw a beautiful truth here, and I saw a sweet hope that um, really lifted me up this week, and I, I hope that it's going to be the same thing for you. So let's look at it. Let's walk through it. In verse 11, if you want to look at verse 11, um, he says... About this, we have much to say. And that's, that's about Melchizedek. So Mike preached last week on um, kind of the beginning, the introduction to this weird guy in the Old Testament named Melchizedek. And he is weird. That's actually one of the points of Hebrews is that he's weird. And Jesus um, kind of fulfills a role after them. Um, so he's getting into this really like dense Christology, you know, how does Jesus relate to this, you know, Old Testament priest and um, what does that mean for us? But before the author wants to do that, kind of gets into this 
um, aside. It's a big aside. It's a weighty aside, but this aside, he's like, I, I can't get into this yet because I don't know if you're ready for it. I don't know if you're ready for it. You've become, you know, he feels this need to slow down and say, maybe we need to, you know, revisit this. Maybe we need to take a break and I think I need to warn you about some things. It's going to be hard because he said it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. And that word for dull there is literally a combination of the words no and push. No push. You don't have any push. You don't have any drive to grow. Another word that is used here is sluggish. There's even a sense at this point that it's not just some kind of like dullness of hearing like when someone's kind of grows older and hearing kind of goes out, right? Like some, some, I know some people here have like told me to, you got to speak into this here because if you're on this side and I don't see, I'm not even going to know you're there, right? But this is kind of like, there's kind of like a grandpa joke that, you know, I have selective hearing. I'm sure some of you have either used that or heard that before where, you know, I could hear, but sometimes I just don't want to and I choose when that is. Um, it's an intentional, this here is more like that. It's an intentional act of not listening anymore. Not listening, not growing anymore. They've plateaued. They're, they're not going or growing in their faith. Another word that could be substituted for dull here is numb. You become numb. And I kind of wondered, like, if I had a dollar for every time I used the word numb to describe my own spiritual life and walk with the Lord and prayer groups and D groups and community groups and what other kind of groups you want to name them over the years, I'd have a lot of money, right? I don't know what I could buy, but I'd have a lot of money. Numb. Are you feeling that right now? Dull? Spiritually sluggish? Numb to your growth? Relationship with God? Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles. Again, that's the, you know, the ABCs, right? Of the oracles of God. So in, the, in other places in the New Testament, teacher kind of has this like official meaning. It's the guy who's, you know, it's the elder who's like up in the pulpit authoritatively teaching every week. But this kind of is more informal. It's about what everybody does. It's about the, the, the function of every believer in the church and how, and, or at least how you're supposed to function. And, you know, this kind of just informal mutual teaching that we are called to do with each other, praying together, reading the Bible together, going to... Bible studies, just kind of the general encouragement and the gospel and discipleship that we're, we all should be doing, but they weren't. They, they drew back from that. They were drifting from that, and they still needed others to come in and do that for them. It says, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So the author is kind of using this metaphor of, you know, milk like the, the imagery of an infant drinking milk and either an older child or adult eating solid food. He's saying, you ought to be, like age-wise, you ought to be over here. You ought to be eating solid food by now, but you're not. You're still a milk drinker. You can't handle solid food. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers, or could also mean faculties, your ability, of discernment trained by constant practice, continual use to distinguish good from evil. So there's, 
There's a little bit of imagery you can see there, like distinguishing between good and bad foods, right? So when you start drinking milk, or when you're drinking milk as a baby, like I've, I mean, maybe it's possible, but I haven't heard of too many newborns that, you know, don't like the taste of milk when they start drinking it, either, you know, formula or nursing, right? Like they just want it. They're just going at it. There's no distinguishing there. But once you start eating solid foods, then you start to see, oh, well, you know, this is good. I like this. This is bad. Don't like this. And I kind of think about, you know, Mava now. And you know all the crazy, like, mixes of baby food they have, like, you know, pumpkin, star fruit, watermelon, cucumber. Right? Yeah, some of them are pretty gross. Um, and we can usually tell what she likes by how many... You know, tears and how much time is involved with dinner. Um, so, you know, I like the mango pineapple. I don't like the green bean, strawberry, purple, sweet potato, whatever it is, right? And I don't blame her at all, by the way. <laughs> so the author is kind of getting at, as you get older, and you start experiencing more, th- you encounter more things. As a growing c- Christian, you're kind of supposed to be able to start distinguishing between practices and beliefs that are good, and lead to growth and godliness and practices and belief that are not good. They're evil and they lead, to, they lead to the withering of your faith, the dullness of your faith, the sluggishness of your faith. And the more you choose the good and the more you grow, the, the more you choose the good, the more you grow. And the more you choose the bad, you still need to drink milk. You still need to go back to those basics. But it's the, it's the latter for the Hebrews for this group of people he's writing to. He says, in, in verse 13, they are unskilled in the word of righteousness. They're unskilled in the, word of, in, in the good words because they're not distinguishing. They don't pick the good food that leads to righteousness. So what, is it, what exactly is the author talking about when he says milk and when he says solid food? One example of, and I think it is an example, but it's not, the whole thing is... You know, this teaching that he's trying to get to on Melchizedek. You know, weird Old Testament priest, right? And the relationship of Jesus to the Old Testament priesthood and what that means for us. And, you know, all this high Christology. But I think solid food is referring to anything over and above the milk. Anything, anything that gives us a higher, a higher view, um, kind of an advancement in our relationship and understanding of and walk with the Lord. In chapter 6, um, so he refers to the milk as the basic principles of the oracles of God in, over there in uh, chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, he actually, that's him saying, this is exactly what this is. This is a list. I like when it gives us lists, right? That's helpful. So he gives us in chapter 6 um, this list of basic things about the Christian life. So there's three sets of two. So there's two basic beliefs that Christians are supposed to have that are the entrance into the Christian life. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And that repentance from dead works that's kind of hitting along the same lines as when Pete was talking about Sully Deo Gloria. And he was you know, reading that passage from Martin Luther. Repenting from dead works and faith towards God. And then there's two Christian practices. Instructions about... Washings, and that probably means 
Um, baptisms, the, it, it is actually literally baptisms in there, but it could be a difference between the teaching between, okay, you have these Jewish purity laws that use water and ritual washings, and what's the difference between those and like the baptism of the Holy Spirit of Jesus in the New Testament? And of laying on of hands, we see that a lot in Acts, and that's how the Holy Spirit moves a lot of times. The apostles use the laying on of hands, so we could see that as like the work of the Holy Spirit, apostolic teaching. And then there's two views about hope. Where's this all going? The resurrection of the body and eternal judgment. So that's kind of, you know, those are the basics. Those are the, that's the milk. And that's what the author of, Hebrew, author of Hebrews wants people he's writing to, to, to leave and go on to maturity from. So that's the passage, basically. Where does that leave us? How in the world does that answer the issues I brought up before? Is this another crushing ought in a world of crushing oughts and shoulds? And is this saying that we should leave the gospel and go on to something else? You know what I I find kind of interesting here is the main imagery that he uses is eating. He uses the metaphor of eating as the main metaphor of growing from infancy to adulthood, right? But there's a lot of other things that he could have used. There's a lot of other examples of growing from being an infant to being, you know, a grown person other than eating. Tara and I were um, talking about um, potty training at, <laughs> at prayer group this week because that's kind of a hard thing right now. It's kind of something we're struggling with. Um, like, not us, but Kuiper, just to make that clear. Um, like, there are a ton of things that babies learn how to do, like, somewhat naturally, right? Like, um, like there, there's some things that they kind of just get, and you kind of just have to facilitate it. But then there's potty training, and it's like, oh, no, you poop here now. It's not, it's, it takes a lot of work and intentionality and planning. It's them growing in independence from us as parents, right? We don't have to change diapers. They're going to the bathroom by themselves. Take walking. Walking's another one. Um, so Mava's kind of working at this right now, and, and she, she kind of has this, you know, thing down where I'd, I'd label it like a half-army crawl stanky leg. But you thought you'd go your whole life and never hear that in church, right? But a half army cross stanky leg where she has like one arm and she's doing that. And then she has the, you know, regular crawling hand and she's doing kind of that motion. And then with her legs, you know, she does have the regular like, you know, foot that's just pushing her up. But then she's kind of like twisting one leg around like that dance from like 15 years ago, the stanky leg. There's like three people here who know what I'm talking about. But overall, there's this kind of like... It, you know, she, she's got that weird crawl down, and that's her kind of taking these, for lack of a better word, baby steps to walk. It's her trying to walk. She sees her brother, you know, running around, yelling, throwing my earbuds and cups of coffee. She's like, you know, I want to do that. I don't want to be carried everywhere by my parents who won't let me throw stuff in cups of coffee. I want to, you know, I don't run around and yell like he's doing, right? In her, in her nine-month-old baby brain, she's like, I want that too. 
I don't want to be carried around everywhere. It's growth and independence. And that's why I think that the author here chose to use the illustration of eating, or at least one of the, one of the reasons. Yeah, eventually you can feed yourself, but you still need an outside source of sustenance, right? An outside source dependent on the earth and on other people, I should add. As you grow in eating, you grow more dependent on food. You need more to sustain yourself. Growth in eating is growth in dependence. Not growth to independence, but growth in your reliance on something outside of yourself. And that's what spiritual growth is. It's growth in dependence. If you look at verse 1 here in chapter 6, when he says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. That go on kind of reads like an active verb, right? Let's go on. Let's forge ahead. Keep going. Move it. Work harder. But it's actually not. It's actually a passive verb. And the term for a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of passive verbs in the New Testament is a divine passive. It's where, you know, it's not explicitly stated, but it's clear through context that it's God that's doing the work. It's the same form we see in Second Peter. It's the same form of the word we see in Second Peter one twenty one. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the word carried along there. The literal way to say this in verse 1 in the older English would be kind of like born along, be born along. Or maybe today, be brought along to maturity. So yeah, this is another ought. But if we see this in the same way that we see all of the other oughts that we have out there, then we've got it wrong. The author isn't saying, you need to work more. You need to sweat more. You need to bleed more. He's saying, Open your mouth. You need to eat more. You need to depend more. You need to rely more. When did you stop eating? When did you stop being carried by me and trying to trudge your own way? When did you start going back to the dead verse that we see in dead works that we see in verse 1 that bring no life and no salvation? So does, does this passage give us another ought, another should? Yeah, it does. But it's the only ought that's actually going to lead you to life. That's going to lead you to a life that's free from the tyranny of self-improvement. Because our main ought, our main obligation is to believe the gospel. That, so that we have, like Chris talked about, I think two weeks ago, from Hebrews 4, an eternal rest bought by Jesus. So, what about the other one? What about the leaving the gospel? Does this passage call us to leave the basics, the foundational gospel message, the foundations, the ABCs of faith? Well, kind of. Yeah, but there are two different kinds of leave. There are two different kinds of ways that we could understand the word leave here. One is leave, as in go away from and be completely separated from. That's the kind of view that I think I had by default as an early Christian. Yeah, go on, you do other things, you you earn your worth here in the kingdom. But if we actually read this passage carefully, it's saying that that kind of leaving was actually their problem. The problem wasn't that they weren't drinking the milk. That's why he says they need to be taught again. They need to drink some more milk. And that's why he says they shouldn't need to lay a foundation again of repentance and 
faith because they were leaving that basic message. They were forgetting the gospel either by trying to earn their own righteousness or living in unrepentant patterns of sin outside the truth of the gospel. The other kind of leave, so that second kind of leave, is the imagery found here of laying a foundation. That's, the, that's that other kind of imagery that it uses to help us understand this. If you build a foundation, you could say that you leave the foundation when you go on to the higher stories, right? Go on to the, the higher parts of the building. But that doesn't mean that you're separated from the foundation or that you abandon it. Doing that, again, was their problem. They had to keep laying the foundation because they kept leaving it or breaking it or however you want to understand that. You don't stop being dependent on the foundation because you're on the third floor, right? In many ways, you're actually more dependent on it. You grow and you build off of it. And that is the hope of growth that we have here. If you know me, you know I I like all sorts of music, but my preference is actually like hip-hop, rap music. Um... The vast majority of it from Christians, right? So if you see me driving down Clara and my Ford Focus and the subwoofers are, you know, banging a little loudly, it's nothing, you know, vulgar, bad. One of my favorite artists is actually a rapper with, shares our Reformed theology. His name is KB. And he has a song based on a real dream that he had. He would actually probably classify it as a nightmare. He was in a point in his walk with God where he could kind of feel that dullness coming on, that sluggishness in his heart, the spiritual sluggishness that the author is talking about. And he dreamt that that kind of like, you know, he was there in the moment and that that kind of pattern continued in his life. The song that he wrote about, it starts with a line written to himself saying, you don't love the church anymore. A line that the writer of Hebrews would also say is kind of indicative of the Hebrews drifting later on in chapter 10. <coughs> Excuse me. He tells a story from his dream um, where he stopped, he stopped talking about Jesus and, his, and the word unless he was trying to defend his sluggishness and his numbness and his drifting. And the nightmare continues to show how far he drifts in it ends with him um, committing adultery and leaving his wife and his family. And he, when he actually woke up from this real dream that he had, he, just, he was bawling. He had tears streaming down his face. His wife was super confused at what was going on. And in, in the uh, song that he wrote about the dream, he was reflecting on it. And he said, I'm, I'm not actually going to wrap this, so it might sound a little weird. You're welcome. He said, yeah, how are we here? Crucified Christ again. That's that double tree in, at the double tree in. Did you get that? How many ended like me here? Oh, not one did. You were dead before you checked in. You've been drifting. Nobody wakes up addicted. Every great falls from a hundred bad decisions. Whole legacy passed and you just no looked it. Remember when you didn't want to be alone? All you talk is numbers. Took the filters off your phone. When do you stop calling on your pastor when you got home? Spending more time with Instagram than the Son of God. Oh, God. Miles up the shore now. Wifey left with both of the boys now. Daddy, 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 why'd you let it go down? Was mommy enough, not enough for you to hold down? Tell me where are we going to go now? I don't want to be here. I was just a man last weekend. Can I be a king after Bathsheba? But David never danced again. He limped all the way to the end. 
I've cried multiple times to that song. The song is called The Art of Drifting, which before I heard it didn't really make sense because drifting is something that, you know, you kind of just let happen to you, right? You, you know, anybody been on a lazy river before? You get in a raft and you just kind of go. And art is like the opposite of that, right? It's, an, it's intentional. It's deliberate. You, you work hard. You use your, you know, creative mind and then you bring that out through um, something, something you actively do. Dull, sluggish, numb is going wherever the water takes you. But as, as you could kind of hear from those words and he, he wrote about this dream, drifting is an art in a way. It takes a lot of small decisions and indecisions, choosing sluggishness and numbness, not to distinguish between good and evil, giving in to the, the tiredness that comes with walking the Christian life sometimes. And it ends in a finished product that looks a lot like death. We're going to talk about that more next week. But hope is an art too. He immediately follows that song on the same album with a song called The Art of Hope where he talks about the, the hope of repentance and growth in the Lord, asking God the kind of rhetorical question, can we pick up where we left off because you've never left us? Christian, you can grow in your faith. There is a such thing as spiritual maturity and immaturity and believers who have matured and believers who haven't. We can be tempted to believe that that's not true. We can flatten the gospel enough to, you know, numb, numb that truth. But you can grow, and that, that's a good thing. It's not a truth that's meant to... It's not, a, it's not a truth meant to make you feel that tyranny of self-improvement or like you aren't good enough. It's a truth meant to deepen your relationship with the one true God. Even if you left your foundation, he never left you. Jesus delights to rescue lost sheep. The Father delights to run out and embrace the lost son. So if you've, if you've felt that dullness, that numbness, that sluggishness, that lack of growth, God delights to wel- welcome you. He delights to welcome his drifting children back home. But you must be carried. Let's pray. God, we do, we do come in today in a world full of oughts and shoulds, and we do come in today prone to wander and prone to try to justify ourselves, prone to our own self-righteousness and, and trying to earn our way back into your good graces by dead works. But Lord... We don't have to. It's hard, but we don't have to. I pray that you would be with us, and I pray that you would help us to grow in you, to do the things, to do the distinguishing, to do the the teaching and the Bible reading and the sitting under the word and the taking communion that is, is eating. It's dependence, God. Help us grow more in being able to trust you and, and being able to just fling ourselves upon you when we're, we're tempted to go our own way, Lord. Help us to eat. It's in your name we pray. Amen.